As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hey guys, welcome to episode 137 of A True Crime Couple. I'm Kay. And I'm John. So we hope you are all doing well, and we want to thank you for listening. And if this is your first time, thanks for giving us a try. We hope you stick around. We really hope you stick around. Like, really. Okay, I'm just going to go through the whole spiel real quick. Okay. okay? Like, time me quick. Uh, All right, I'm timing you. Ready, go. We ask that you leave a review on whatever platform you listen to us on and tell a friend about us. Of course, only if said friend gets it and loves true crime. If not, you need to get a new friend. And please, we need some, so we're here. If you want bonus episodes of the podcast, you can join Patreon for $5 a month and you get ad-free episodes, a sticker, a shout out. We do them at the end of the show and we will on this show. Two full-length bonus episodes each month and our undying allegiance. And that's at patreon.com slash true crime couple. Oh, and one more thing. Please send us your scary or creepy stories to true crime couple at gmail.com. We have a listener episode coming up soon. So we want to hear your stories. Okay. All right. Well, that was pretty good housekeeping. That was 35 seconds. So I'm proud really? of you. Oh my that God. Good. That yeah. actually felt like five minutes. No, it was I not. Was so nervous. <laughs> I can't believe <laughs> I actually, you actually made me time you, but you know, that was good. That was, that was good. Fast timing. Yeah, well, I'm ready. I'm always ready. I'm always up for any challenge. Okay, well, are you ready? Are you up for this challenge? Um, What am I not? This is going to be a pretty, um, very interesting case. Is this going to be a handsy case? It is. So on our last Patreon episode, I started doing this thing with our second Patreon episode of the month where I give a clue as to what the next episode is. Yeah, good call, because I just realized that we they did not know that. Yeah. So, Hansy, what the hell is that? You They're know? probably like, what? what, is, what is he okay? <laughs> I think they wonder that many times. <laughs> um. So the clue that I gave was that there's going to be a lot of hands in this episode. Yeah, but the truth is, and I'm not okay. <laughs> no, you're not okay. But, but we're here for you, John. Sorry. All right. Are you ready to hear something crazy? Absolutely. As true crime listeners, we are comforted by the cases that are solved. The bad guy gets caught, and although a tragedy took place, there was some retribution that was achieved for the family of the victim, or victims. But when we dip our toe into the unsolved cases here and there, there will always be the inevitable message of sadness, frustration, or anger that come pouring in afterwards. And that's because the solved ones are hard. But sometimes, and this is truly unsettling, and I apologize in advance for this, uh, it gets me thinking about 
unsolved true crime cases, right? The ones that the media doesn't get a hold of. Like, how many are there? So I looked into it. According to projectcoldcase.org, nearly 185,000 homicides and non-negligent manslaughter cases went unsolved from 1980 to 2019. That's an alarming amount, actually. I know. And in 2019, the clearance percentage for those type of crimes was 58%. You almost feel like... What what are we doing? But because like in the modern day, it's like you would think, okay, there's cameras everywhere. Everyone's on like there's so much technology and so many advancements in like ways of solving crimes that that wouldn't even be such a staggering number. But it is. I it's true because what do we always say? Oh, nowadays it's so hard to get away with anything. Like, but is it? Because uh, based on this statistic, um, you can make the argument that we're wrong when we say that. Exactly, and that leads me. To the cool sentence that I always say before the music starts. Maybe it is possible to get away with murder. Police say the suspect, 31-year-old Jeffrey Dahmer, has confessed to the killings of 11 people whose remains were found in his apartment. We are all evil in some form or another, are we not? Lock your doors, lock your windows. If you have the ability to provide additional security devices, then by all means do so. Our story begins in the fall of 1976 in Columbus, Ohio, when Lori Willis began dating Gerald Hand. Lori was a beautiful and vivacious 18-year-old cosmetology student. She wanted nothing more than to have a career that she loved and was appreciated for, but she also really wanted to have a family. And she saw the opportunity for that to become a reality when she met Gerald, who actually went by Bob. So for the rest of the podcast, we're going to call him Bob. Bob Hand. Bob Hand. Okay. So Bob was older than Lori, something that her family and friends were not entirely thrilled about. But they understood that Lori loved him and that she found security both in his age and his job. And Bob was nine years older than Lori, but she was 18. So, I mean, we're not talking about anything illegal here. So she's 18 and he's 27. Well, like some would say, age is just a number. You know, it is yes. what it is. You know? I mean, as long as it's a, it's legal. As long as it's legal. Age is a number. Yes, yes. <laughs> and Bob owned his own house and auto mechanic shop. And that was actually doing quite well. So it would be easy for Lori to achieve all of the things that were her dream because hairdressing, even though it is amazing and I would not know what I would do without my hairdresser in 1976, you didn't really make a lot of money. Only now hairdressers are able to charge more money for like the, the skills that they have. Yeah. I mean, people still give them crap for it. Yeah. I don't know why hairdressers, hairdressers and hair, you know, anything that cuts hair is a very important skill. I know it's true. I would, I would want to cut my own hair, that's for sure. I would follow Katrina to the ends of the earth. See, there you I go. Really it's would. an important thing. Yeah. Although I'm happy that she has two kids, I was so sad and missed her while she was away. She's just coming back from her pregnancy. Okay, yeah, you're, you're being too I selfish. Okay, she has children here. <laughs> yeah. You can't take all her time. I know. <laughs> okay, so one person who really hit things off with Bob was Lori's younger brother, Stephen. He was really into cars, so he thought it was so cool that Bob owned a body shop. 
And like when they met, Lori's younger brother, Stephen, was a senior in high school. So as you can imagine, that would be super cool. So Bob was kind of like the cool older guy that had a business and like was living the dream being around cars all the time. And I'm sure it was really nice being a younger kid in high school and seeing that because it shows that kid like it's a role model, someone older, someone that he could aspire to be like or look what can be like achieved if you do the right thing. Right. Exactly. So that's, that's pretty cool. That's always good to have. It is. And Bob really took an interest in Stephen as well, because about a year after he met Lori, Stephen had graduated from high school and Bob offered him a job at the shop. Perfect. I know. Isn't there you that? Go. So that is perfect. Yeah. So although his family seemed to have their reservations about Lori's relationship, working at the shop under Bob was something that brought him and Stephen a lot closer. Stephen always told his parents about what a great and laid back boss Bob was, how knowledgeable he was, and how he was a really good guy. For example, Bob Hand used to be in the army, and he had seen some action in Vietnam. One of the men from his unit, while he was stationed there, was a man that went by the name of Lonnie. And like many vets from Vietnam, he had developed a bit of a drug habit. Bob went out of his way to help Lonnie on his path to recovery. And whenever Lonnie was kind of on that path to recovery, Bob always made sure to have a job ready for him at the shop and provide all the guidance that he could. See, this is like before the time of like, like, what do you call that? I don't want to call it an affiliate program, but like a program that helps vets like either get off the street or yeah. assimilate them back into society. So it's like before those things even were a thing. And they're still not yeah. even the best today. So you that's could true. only imagine. Yeah. But that's really nice of him to do that. Yes. And it was especially difficult for our vets from Vietnam because society in America wasn't necessarily welcoming to them when they returned from duty. I always feel for them. I, I always do. I know. I got a, got a soft spot for them. I, you know what gives everyone a soft spot for Vietnam vets? Don't say it. I will because... No, don't. Forrest Gump. I, you know, how... I know you so well. I knew you were <laughs> going to say that, and that's why I said, please don't. Because you know how, how <laughs> my heart has been torn in half still to this day. A piece of my heart is missing because of Bubba's death scene. I know. I still can't get over it. And on, honestly, I have to tell you, though, like, Lieutenant Dan is my spirit animal. So <laughs> I'm, if anybody else feels that way, just let me know. I'm sure they do. So in the spring of 1977, about 18 months into their relationship, Bob chose to pop the question to Lori. He wanted to be with her full time and have her move into his house, have a family, and spend forever together. And of course, she said yes. The couple got married quickly after, months later, in fact, on June 18th. Lori called it her rainbow wedding because she had all of her friends pick not only just their dresses, but also what color they were. It was a very small ceremony and party afterwards, but the couple seemed to be over the moon. And I'm sure the open bar helped with that a little bit. Lori moved into Bob's house with him on South Eureka Street. And the couple was prepared to live happily ever after. And shortly after moving in together and getting married, Lori achieved her ultimate goal. She was going to become a mother. The couple got pregnant and welcomed their son, who they named Robert. So they like actually named him Bob. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> but they called him Robbie. Okay. So it's Bobby good to and differentiate. Robbie. Yeah, there yeah. you go. 
Because Bob made good money, Lori didn't have to work. So she was able to be a stay-at-home mother. And this was something she loved to do, too. Staying at home with Robbie was really her favorite thing. She loved being a mother, which was why when she found out that her cousin, who she was close with, was going to be getting married and hopefully starting a family soon, she volunteered to host the bridal shower for her. And this bridal shower was supposed to take place on Sunday, September 9th, 1979. Of course, this would mean that she would have to get the house super clean and ready for guests because she was going to be hosting it at her house. Something that I'm sure anyone with a child under the age of one knows that that's impossible to do. So at around 8.30 a.m. that morning, Bob took Robbie out for a little bit to afford his wife some time on her own. And the plan had actually been for Stephen to go out with Bob and little Robbie for the whole day. So basically, Bob could get Robbie out of Lori's hair, and then he could spend the day with Stephen and not be at the bridal shower. I mean, that's good, right? It's like, let's escape the house. exactly. Take him. Just go somewhere. (laughs) Do something. (laughs) But 21-year-old Stephen was a little late picking Bob up and his nephew because he had overslept after an intense night of partying the night before. We've all been there. We have. Because the shower's on a Sunday, so obviously Saturday night he went out. So he was a little late, and after a quick apology, the two left with baby Robbie in tow. Lori's plan was to do more cleaning before her mother was expected to come over and help her with the decoration aspects of it all. Meanwhile, Bob, Stephen, and little Robbie were having a pretty crazy day. Like, they did so many things. I don't even know why it was necessary to do these many things. So I'm not entirely sure of the order of events, except for the last thing they did. But they managed in one day to go visit a flea market, go go go-kart racing, Stop at Old Man's Cave in Hawking Hills, which from what I could see is like a hiking destination that's really beautiful. It's like a waterfall behind a cool rock formation. I mean, I don't really like hiking, but that does sound really cool. It's, I'm gonna, I'll Google a picture later. Yeah, I mean, I want to see it for sure. It's really nice. I'm sure it is. And then the last place they went was a car show. Oh, yeah. A perfect way to end the day for two guys who love cars. So at around 9.30 a.m. while the boys were out doing their thing, Lori's mother, Lois, arrived. Nobody names their children like faraway names from them. Like we have Lois and Lori, Robbie and Bob. I feel like those names, yeah, I, it's hard because <laughs> like that's such a, like, a 70s. And, I get them confused when I'm yeah, doing the writing. Exactly. Like now the names are different. Very different. Very different. Yeah. So... Lori's mother, Lois, arrived to help her with the party, 9.30 a.m. She knocked on the door, but there was no response. So she figured that maybe her daughter had run out with Bob and Stephen. Maybe there was some last minute thing that she had forgotten and that she would be back. So Lois left a note telling her daughter that she was going to go get some breakfast and she'd be back shortly. Lois ended up returning 90 minutes later. But this time, as she approached, she realized that there was something wrong. The door was slightly ajar. She entered the house and couldn't find Lori anywhere in the home. So she called Bob's family to see if they knew anything. 
maybe Bob had mentioned something to them, but she wanted to, at the very least, for them to come over and help her look. And I, I guess, so the reason why she called Bob's family is because they lived closer than she did. Okay. So, like, they'd be able to get there quicker. It's so crazy when you when you really are, are explaining this because you have to keep in the back of your mind that this is before cell phones. Right. So it, it, it's so crazy. She can't just call her daughter yeah. and ask where she is. Exactly. But you have to imagine this is really troubling because the first time she went there, no answer. Second time, doors ajar. And Lori, there was no reason for her not to be there. It's not like Lois was just dropping by. I mean, there there were plans to get ready for a party at her house. So it, it was strange that she wasn't there. So when Bob's family arrived, they told Lois that they would search the house again. They did a more thorough investigation than just calling for Lori. They went into every room of the house and checked every closet. When all of that was exhausted, they checked the only place left. The basement. And it was there that they found the brutally murdered body of Lori Hand. They rushed upstairs and called the police. Afterwards, they went outside to break the news to Lois. Her only daughter had been murdered and tried to comfort her the best way they could. When law enforcement arrived, they were told where the body had been found and were informed that the members of the Hand family had found her and not touched the scene. When the officers found Lori's body laying on the floor of the basement with a plastic sheet wrapped around her head, and spent shell casings around her, they knew they had a murder on their hands. They called in for backup, detectives, and a crime scene unit. It would later be reported by the medical examiner that Lori had been shot twice in the head, but surprisingly, that had not been what killed her. While she was in tremendous pain from her gunshot wounds, her attacker strangled her to death something that was accelerated by the fact that she had a plastic clothing bag wrapped around her head. So as she tried to breathe, she was only met with hard plastic entering her mouth and the blood that poured from her gunshot wounds because it was found digested. That's horrible. That really is. Yeah. Lori Hand, the mother of one-year-old Robbie and the wife of Bob, died a horrific death in the middle of preparing for what was supposed to be a joyous occasion. Detectives at the scene also noted that her pants were unfastened and the zipper pulled down, but they weren't off. Her shirt had been pulled up to her breast line, exposing her. Blood stains and blood spatter were found on the wall near her body. It was also discovered by the family that Lori's car had been stolen. But after the neighborhood would be swept the following day, her car would be found three blocks away. So it wasn't like anyone went far with the car. That's that's bizarre. Because mm-hmm. then why take the car? Maybe just to get away quick. That's interesting. You know, you know the whole thing with um, the fact that the mother showed up and... She wasn't there, and then when the mother returned, the door was open. Well, you know what that probably means? 
Well, there's a couple of, well, okay, you say, you tell me what you think. Oh, no, I want to hear your thoughts. Well, I, I think that it's it's bizarre because it would either lead me to a couple of different things. One, uh, she knew this person and let them in. Right. Right? Or this person was watching to wait for people to leave, didn't expect the brother to come so late, so it threw his timing off, and that's why there's like a weird gap between when the mom comes the first time and then the second time. Okay. And then... Ma- well, made him had to act quick. Act quick, right. And then... Because it even could be a mix between the sh- she maybe knowing her attacker and then also this person watching to see everyone leave so he can actually make right. a move on the house. So that's what I'm thinking. Okay. Because that makes sense. Or this person snuck into the house at some point and then, right. you know, did what, you know, did, you know murdered her well do you want to know what it made me think sure yeah please if the door was shut and locked and Lori wasn't answering the door but then when her mother returned the door was ajar that meant when her mother knocked at the door Lori was either in the process of being murdered or the killer was still in the house well well because they had to leave I was thinking that it's possible that you can even get more specific and maybe make an argument that maybe the she was already shot because if she wasn't shot already, you would have heard the shots from outside. So yeah. maybe that the shots were done and maybe the strangling was taking place because you would have heard those gunshots. You know what I'm saying? Unless there was like a silencer. I still think you would hear it. Well... You would think the timing, though, it's not like she's going to hear shots because she was outside the door for 60 seconds. This attack took a very long time. That's true, too. Very, so uh, yeah, this the is killer okay. had to have been at the house when the mother knocked. No matter what state Lori was in, they had to have been there because then when she returned, the door was ajar. Yeah. I also want to just I actually want to put a red flag already in something because I, I this is interesting, too. The taking of the car makes absolutely no sense, which means whoever did this is not of a, of a sound mind. Now, I know that sounds stupid because, okay, he just, this person just killed her. Just I get murdered it. somebody. But no, but I get it. But what I'm trying to get at here is this person's unhinged and unstable, which maybe means to me is this person on drugs and is looking for something quick to take. There could be belongings in the car. It is very This strange. person takes the car thinking that he could do something with it. Well, what doesn't make sense is that the car was in the garage. So they left the garage, but then somehow the front door became ajar. He might have been looking around for stuff. Well, let's get into the scene a little bit more. Okay. Detectives noted... Oh, wait. I just want to make a quick note because I just thought of this. Potentially, Lori could have been in the shower when her mom knocked the first time. And then the person opened the door. So it could have been other things. Sure. It's not necessarily the fact that the killer was there when her mother knocked, but it's a possibility and it's a terrifying possibility. Yeah, sorry, guys. You know how I am. I'm just coming up with things based oh, no, on what I, I know. I just <laughs> wanted to clarify that yeah. I didn't want to say most definitely he was there when she knocked because there could have been a thousand possibilities. Oh, 100%. Yeah. So detectives noted several strange things about the crime scene. There was no sign of forced entry and nothing had been taken for the home except for Lori's car, but that had been returned the next day but the first and second floor of the residency was a mess 
Drawers were dumped out and items were turned over and strewn all over the floor. It was like someone was looking for something. So did somebody ransack the home to make it look like a robbery? Or had they genuinely been looking for something? Either way, detectives knew that this person had gotten into the house without a fight. But once they did get into the house, there seemed to have been a struggle. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, let's get back to the story. So while searching the home for whatever Lori's murderer may have been looking for, the police seized a locked box from the trunk of Bob Han's car. That was still located in the family's garage. So if you remember, Stephen picked them up. So that's why Bob Han's car was still in the garage. Within this box, police found credit card slips, cash, a 38 caliber gun, And they know this was not the murder weapon, by the way. Just putting that out there right away. Okay. And um, there was a lot of cash, though. So they were thinking, okay, maybe could this have been something somebody was looking for? Well, it would make sense that he would have all all of that because he owned a body shop. Yes. And he might have taken it home with him for the weekend. Right, exactly. That would explain the credit card slips. And his cash box. It was his cash box. Yeah. So, like, maybe somebody that frequented the shop might know that he takes the cash box home on the weekends. Right. So, now, this is an interesting thing, too, because we have, we know the whereabouts, at least right now, we know the whereabouts of the husband. I don't think that they're going to even suspect the husband at this point because he was with the brother the whole time. All day. All day. So, now, it's almost like, okay, well, who else would know that he had money or something that's worth taking in the house? Right. I mean, we know that the the... Her, uh, Lori's brother um, works, you know, works with him. But so does that guy Lonnie now, doesn't he? Right. Okay. Well, that's somebody that we would want to like look up and just say, "Hey, where are you? You know, where have you been all day today?" Because that's someone that knows has knowledge of the house. He has knowledge of what might be in the car and everything else, for that matter. Well, and the fact that he takes the the locked box home on yeah. the weekends. I would definitely uh, go and just check him out and talk to 
I would say probably everybody who's an employee. Yeah, because we don't even know the list yeah. of employee. I'm just saying that's just the ones that we've heard of. No, so I far. agree with you. So yeah, I would definitely do that. So meanwhile, because it's 1979 and news doesn't travel as easily then as it does now, Bob, Stephen, and baby Robbie are at the car show and they had no clue about Lori's murder. At the show, Bob showed Stephen, who at this point really looked up to him, that he had $10,000 on him. Now, the reason why Bob had this money on him was because he was interested at one of the cars that was going to be at the car show. So if he liked it, he was planning on putting an offer out right there and just paying the guy cash for the car. Now, this is interesting because... Did anyone else know that Bob took that cash out and did they think that it could potentially be at his house? I mean, that is a good point for sure. So that was the plan. And they walked around the car show for a bit and then Bob saw the car he liked. He left Stephen with the baby and he went over to negotiate with the man. Stephen would later say that Bob returned looking a bit dejected and he explained that the guy wanted way too much for the car, so he wasn't going to buy it. Just as the men continued walking, an announcement came over the loudspeaker of the track, asking Bob Hand to please come to the office because he had an urgent phone call. They all rushed to the office, and Bob went inside. When he came out, Stephen said he was completely white. It was like he had seen a ghost. Almost in a daze, he said to Stephen, it's Lori. She's dead. Both the men were shocked. How could Lori be dead? They had just seen her. They hurried back to the car and drove as fast as they could back home. Both men would later say that that ride was a blur and they never exchanged a word. When they got to the street, they saw all of the police cars surrounding Bob and Lori's home. In the driveway, Stephen found his parents. They were inconsolable. But Bob went past them and tried to get into his house. He wanted to see his wife. But before he could, he was stopped by the police protecting the integrity of the crime scene. A detective met Bob outside, and along with Lori's family, he explained what they believed to be true, based on the evidence they had so far. They believed that someone came into the house. They believe this person was either let in or the door was left unlocked. And then a struggle began in the living room. The fight continued throughout the home and culminated in Lori being thrown down the basement stairs. Her attacker followed her down the stairs and covered her head with a plastic clothes bag that was already in the basement, like the, like the laundromat plastic bags that they use. Yeah. Dry cleaning. And then once they wrapped her head in the plastic, they shot her twice. Later, the family would find out after her autopsy that she was strangled as well. But like at this scene, they told the family that she was shot twice in the head because they were unaware that she was strangled. That was determined by a medical examiner. They promised that they would work hard to find out who killed Lori. Bob Hand and the Willis family were left devastated in front of the house and no one could move or speak. Eventually, Bob 
that night was asked to come down to the station to speak with the police about his wife. There was such a lack of evidence that they just needed more information. There the police asked him who would have known that he wasn't going to be home all day. And he said a lot of people. Everyone who was attending the bridal shower knew of his intentions not to be there. Um, everyone Stephen told, like he and Stephen kind of talked at the shop all Friday about the plans that they had on Sunday. So everyone at the shop knew that they weren't going to be home either. And anyone who might have been watching him leave, he really didn't know. He also didn't know anyone who would have wanted to hurt Lori. She was a good wife and a good mother. He was definitely in a daze and it would take a while for him to respond. So like these answers didn't come quickly. He was seemed very devastated. Next, they asked him about his relationship with Lori. He said that they were a normal couple, that he loved her and he knew that she loved him. But after the baby, things were different. The arguments they had usually focused around sex. He said that he wanted sex at least once a night and that she didn't want to do that. He also added that sometimes Lori would get annoyed with him because she thought of him as being a little too protective or possessive over her, especially when other men were involved. Why am I getting some warning signs here of some risky behavior here? Like from, from, from Bob Hand? From Bob Hand. Yeah, it's. Okay. I feel like those are always like bad things to hear. Those are what we would call red flags. Yeah, they are one hundred percent the biggest red <laughs> Different flags kinds of that you red have flags. ever seen in your life. <laughs> okay, firmly planted into the ground because it's it's such a negative trait to have. Well, usually in the beginning, women like that stuff. Yeah, yeah, but there's a difference. Yeah, there is a difference. There is such a subtle, like, ooh, I'm suave way of going about it. Like, I'm a man's man. I'll protect you. And then there's another where, That's don't exactly look what at John it. says. Yeah, but there's a difference between that or, don't look at other dudes. I'm pissed. You know, like, you don't want wow, that. Wow, that's good. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that's stupid. Like, I'm no, sorry. I don't mean to make a joke of it. But no, at the I same totally time, it's understand. Like, I get it's it. It's just weird, you know? Um, But, uh, yeah, I don't know. Well, Bob kind of like plays this off. He says the reason why he was so protective and possessive was because he felt that Lori was just so beautiful and he was a jealous kind of guy. That's what they all say. (laughs) That is what they all say. But that was all. And after this, the police ended the interview because they really didn't have any more questions for Bob. And they tell him that, you know, he could get home to his in-laws and his son and kind of just grieve with his family. I have questions for him. You have more. You have more questions. I for have Bob more Hand. questions for Bob Han in 1979. <laughs> I have questions for you, dude. Would you like me to just give you one? Yeah, give me one. I got one. Just one. Okay. I just want to know the plan of the day that you had, Mister Hand. This plan that you had to take your brother-in-law and your child to this grandiose plan that you had. Okay, big Sunday. Yeah, who decided on this plan? Who was the one that orchestrated this this plan? This was Bob's plan. Okay, so it seems a little to me. It seems a little fishy, Bob. You know? Do you? you is know? this Detective John? Yeah, this is Detective John. Okay, uh, it's uh, nice like, to meet like, you. This is a little fishy here. Um, it seems like you planned this grandiose uh, event for your family to go away on, almost as if you were trying to give yourself some sort of alibi, Bob. Wow, you're accusing Bob Hand? Yeah, I am. All right, interesting. I am. 
Also, I have another question for you, Bob. Oh, wow. Okay. Bob, do you have a life insurance policy Am on your I wife? Am I, Bob? Uh, well, I'm staring at okay, you while okay. I do this, but... I feel intimidated. Uh, I'll repeat the question, Bob. Okay. Um, do you have a life insurance policy on your wife, Bob? Because I'm curious. Yes. Hmm. It's very interesting. Makes me think motive. Well, we have a son. That is very true, but... You know, um, I would love to know how large your life insurance policy is because that would uh, be very good for you if your wife died. Well, I'm going to get there. Mm. These are great questions. I got you, Bob. Don't make me have to put the crosshairs on you. Wow. This is very intimidating. I'm sorry. I guess Detective John is bad cop. Yeah, yeah, that's bad cop. (laughs) You like that? I might have a future in acting. I don't know. Maybe that was my. Yeah, maybe, that was my um, maybe voice acting is for you, John. I mean, I could be completely wrong here, but this right. is just a shot in the dark. Okay, okay, okay. These were All questions right. for Bob as well, a detective. I think those are great questions for Bob. Okay. So the following day, when Lori's vehicle was found three blocks from the home, a pair of work gloves were recovered near the car. The fingers of the glove had been turned inside out. You know, like when you take a glove off fast and the whole thing goes inside out. Yeah. That's what had happened. And on the inside, well, really like the outside of the glove, but inside because it was turned inside out. You guys know what I mean. There was blood all over the glove. Okay. So a bloody glove turned inside out was found next to Lori Han's car. There was also some debris in there, but it was all bagged as evidence because obviously 1979, we don't have DNA testing yet. But smart cops for bagging it regardless. That's good. So weeks went by and there were no clues that the investigators had as to what had happened that day. But something suspicious happened that always piques the attention of a good detective that's working a homicide. The husband of the victim receives a life insurance policy. Ooh, Bob, am I getting warm, Bob? (laughs) Am I getting warm, Bob? Because I have the crosshairs on you right now, Bob. Okay, enough with the crosshairs. All right, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. (laughs) Okay, so in total, through, I feel like you're going to be really mad at this. No, I'm not bad. Five separate life insurance policies. Okay. Through five separate life insurance policies, Bob Hand received $126,687.90. That's a lot of money. The equivalent of that today would be $517,000. Yeah, I was going to say, a lot of money. Half a million dollars. Yeah. The money was enough to pay off the mortgage on the house that he owned that was in his name and the location of the body shop, which he was also paying a mortgage on. Well, no, that's the thing. Like, I I get like, okay, if you're married, I can understand, okay, I'm going to have a life insurance policy for both of us and I'll pay it just in case something happens to me or my wife. Because think about it. If you're a loyal husband... You're like, okay, well, Lori, if I die tomorrow, I want you and our son, Robbie, to be taken care of with no mortgage, and you never have to worry about anything, and you could just collect the money from the business. Correct. So that, you know, that's a reason for him to have life insurance policy. But for her, it's, it, I mean, it's still good to have, of course, but it's weird that he would collect on it because she's not like – she doesn't own – property or anything else i understand what you're saying know, she that, was not yeah. the breadwinner of the family thank you for putting that so the, the best consequence of her passing away and him passing away is different when it comes to the financial situation of the family correct 
That's what I was trying to get at. I know. I thank you I, for putting that in the best words possible. You put it in this nice little basket for me. You're welcome. That is exactly how I feel because, you're the, but it. You see how it work. It it makes sense, but yet doesn't. I get it. It's weird. I get it. Okay. I think that it is something though when couples do have a child, they do rush to then get life insurance policies because it makes you realize, okay, we've got a human being to take care of. But there's a big but. Okay. I think it's excessive to have five life insurance policies. Just saying. I would say yes, excessive. It's like, hey, Bob, I think you're like, it looks like you're running a racket over here. Are you good? Well, maybe Bob Hand's got something going on. Mm, Maybe. So the detectives went to speak to Bob about this, and he explained that he and Lori had talked about doubling it because they had a child. And honestly, this was kind of like a logical thing that people do. So the detectives really didn't see too much of a problem here. But the Willis family did. They thought this was very suspicious. And it was around this time that Stephen's parents decided to sit him down and talk to him about Lori's death and how they felt about Bob Hand. Stephen was very upset at the loss of his sister, who he was very close with. He was confused by his parents' feelings about Bob. He had been with him the entire day. He saw Bob kiss his sister goodbye. It couldn't have been him. So they decided that it was time to tell him the truth. What are they holding back? What are they holding back from Stephen? I'll tell you. Okay. So the Willis parents explained to Stephen that the reason they had been apprehensive about Lori being in a relationship with Bob, later marrying him and moving into his house, was because Bob's first wife had died in the house. What? Yes. Under suspicious circumstances. I didn't even let you finish your sentence. No, you didn't. Because. Whoa. Wait, it's the same house? Same house. This is so weird. Yeah. Well, and they're sitting Stephen down at the table and telling him, this is why we haven't liked Bob. Wait, hold on a second here. Wait, wait, hold on. I need to. I need to gather myself okay. for a second. Okay. I have more info. You want me to share? Yes, please. Okay. <laughs> so Stephen just stared back at his parents in disbelief. They pulled out a box filled with newspaper articles about a woman named Donna Hand. She had died on March 24th, 1976, almost exactly one year before Lori had met Bob. According to the articles, Bob Hand notified police that he had found the body of his wife in the basement of his home. Stop. Same house, same room. You're kidding, right? I know. I'm very serious. The the likelihood of that happening is impossible. I probably have a better (laughs) chance of winning the lottery and getting struck at lightning at the same (laughs) same same exact moment. Yeah, or or the same moment. Yeah, Yeah. that, that, that is insane. Well, I think... What is in Bob's favor here is that Donahan's death was suspicious because he stated that she had hanged herself. But as her body swung, the cord that she had used to hang herself with snapped from the pressure over time. However, the police had reservations 
as to whether this was a suicide or a staged suicide. After months and months of articles about the case, it's clear that eventually, although the police initially thought this was a staged suicide, they came to the conclusion that the 28-year-old woman died by suicide because they could find no evidence otherwise. But why did the police initially think that the suicide was staged? Two interesting details. Okay. First, it appeared to be blunt force trauma on her head. The ME is later going to say that that there is a potentiality that that could have happened when she fell. But another medical examiner did not necessarily agree with that. Right. So it was inconclusive, really. Correct. Okay. But then there's one more detail. She had a plastic laundry bag over her head. Stop it. No. Yes. See, what's what's bothering me with this is that though these similarities are insane, but we do know that he wasn't there. I know. Same house, same room, bag over the head. And died from asphyxiation. Because she was yeah. trying they were both yes. died of asphyxiation, basically. If we go on the theory that he is responsible for both of these. Okay. I think what this shows and the scariest part about this is that he learned what not to do to make it look not suspicious. Okay. Okay. Maybe it's possible that he did do that to his first wife. But maybe he learned that if he had no involvement and had an alibi, there would be nothing suspicious about it. Okay. Which means that there is someone else in the fold here. Well, I'm going to keep going. Please do. (laughs) So Stephen couldn't believe what his parents were literally laying out on the table for him. Had Bob killed his first wife and now his sister? I mean, this is a guy that he loved and looked up to and wanted to be like. So we asked them why they never said anything. And Lois explained that they had. They had told Lori and they told her how they felt about her marrying Bob and that they thought it was a mistake. But they said Lori was adamant. She loved him and that he would never do something like that. And over and over again, she pleaded with them to just let their suspicions go and be happy for the two of them because she was convinced that Bob didn't kill his first wife. I mean, that is a very startling thing to learn from your parents. Uh, yeah. But that was something that might have been good to share. Well, I think that they didn't want to ruin how Stephen felt. And they didn't want Lori to feel like they were pinning everyone against Bob. Like, they were yeah. still trying to be respectful. But, like, this made things click for Stephen. Like why his parents kept Bob at an arm's length and why they really hadn't been happy during the couple's wedding. Makes sense now, right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's a good reason to not like your daughter's new husband. Yep. So there was another similarity in both cases. During the suicide of Donna and the murder of Lori, Bob had two perfect alibis. So he had an alibi when it came to Donna's. Okay. 
According to the newspaper reports, Bob had been at the gym lifting weights with many witnesses seeing him there, when Donna had apparently died by suicide. While Lori was being murdered, Bob was out with Lori's brother and their child, and the three of them had gone so many places with so many witnesses. Now, as a joint force, Stephen and his parents were very vocal with the Columbus Police Department that they believed that Bob had something to do with the death of Lori and the death of Donna. They explained that he stood to inherit money from their life insurance policies. This happened in the same house and the same room. I mean, it couldn't be any more obvious. So it was either that Bob was involved in their murders or someone had a vendetta against Bob being married. I mean, that would be pretty insane. That would be pretty insane. I mean, both are actually pretty insane. Yeah. So the police had known about the suicide in the house, and they admitted that they thought it had been strange. But there was no evidence tying Bob to the murder. No large transfer of money, like if he was paying somebody to do this. And to make the family happy, they brought Bob in for a second formal interview on October 9th, 1979, a month after the murder. In the interview, he spoke about the death of his first wife and how devastated he had been. But with Lori, he had found his second lease on life. With her, he was able to go on and have a family, something he thought he was never going to be able to have. He admitted that from the death of Donna, he received $50,000. And when asked about the troubles that couple had, Bob said that the problems he had been having with Lori were normal things, but on the whole, they were good. His wife wasn't planning to separate from him or divorce him. They were extremely in love with each other. And during the interview, they asked him again, do you know anyone who would do this then? Like, if not you, then who? Basically is what they said. And Bob said that he didn't know. He felt like now, after weeks had passed and he was thinking about things, he really didn't trust anyone, especially the people that worked for him, because some of them were criminals. And, or they had family who were, or... You know, they were people that kind of like just like to get paid cash. They knew about how much cash he had. And from there, the detectives told the Willis family that there just was no connection between Bob Hand and the death of their daughter. They couldn't find anything. See, and that might be true, right? But there are a couple of things that as detectives, they should have known better. I'll just name one real quick. Okay. Of course, there's no transfer of money because this guy had cash all the time. He had $10,000 cash on him. On him. And then there was money inside the lockbox. Yeah. So, of course, there's no trail in that regard. It's all it's a cash business. A revolving door, so to speak, of just cash. Exactly. So how could there not be a way for him to pay someone in cash to carry out a hit multiple times? I agree. You know, or I'll even do one better for you. If you have people who are, in his words, convicts or ex-cons, or what if, hey, look, look at, it, it could be his friend for all we know who has a drug problem. He could 
exchange cash for drugs and say, kill my wife, here's drugs. Right, right. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, of course, there's no, like, actual transaction. Well, that's why the detectives want to look into the people at the shop. Now. They have to. Yeah. yeah. So, Stephen agreed that this should be done and that he hadn't always liked the people in the shop, especially Lonnie. He felt like his brother-in-law had a bit of a bleeding heart for that guy. And Lonnie was trying to write his life, but he certainly screwed up a lot. Stephen had witnessed Bob give Lonnie advances on his paycheck because he was going to buy drugs. And sometimes Lonnie didn't want to take a dock on his next pay period, and the two would have arguments. Or Bob would lend him money, and Lonnie wouldn't pay it back for a long time. The detectives questioned Lonnie, whose real name was Walter Welch, and they really couldn't put a connection from him to the case either. Lonnie had told them that he did have a drug issue and that he was trying to deal with it. But Bob had always been there for him in Vietnam and at home. And he would never do anything to hurt him or his family. And when looking through his criminal record, they found that there were some petty arrests for like drug related crimes, but nothing violent. He has no violent history. The closest thing was that his brother was serving time for attempted murder. But, I mean, that really doesn't mean anything. No, nothing for him. Yeah. So, again, the detectives go to the Willis family and say, the only person that seemed to be a viable suspect, there's no connection. That does really leave you, like, dead in the water because, as a family, you want answers. Especially when you feel like you know who did it. And especially you know that it's impossible for there to be two victims that were this guy's wife killed in the same manner killed in the same exact spot there was way too many uh coincidences for this to be you know oh yeah that you know what i mean so as a, as the mother and the father i can imagine the amount of anger that they have towards bob hand and even though the police has nothing to do with the murder of course but they're angry because there's no answers i agree that's real that's a really bad place to be well, eventually, Stephen quit his job at Bob Hand's body shop because he couldn't take the memories of his sister flashing back into his head every time he saw Bob. And especially because he felt that this was a man who was responsible for the murder of his sister. So after this, Stephen goes on working, but his sister's unsolved murder case becomes a bit of an obsession for him. He goes out and does all of his own research. He actually paid to get himself hypnotized by a therapist who does the same thing for police when victims or eyewitnesses can't remember a crime. And he truly believed that he had witnessed something happen that morning, but he couldn't remember it. So that's what he was trying to pull out of his memory, but it was unsuccessful. Stephen also reached out to the Anderson family, and that's the family of Donna, the first wife, to learn more about what had happened to her and what her relationship with Bob had been like. Now, he reached out, Stephen reached out to Donna's brother, who is also named Stephen. Oh, that's kind of yes. interesting. Okay. Yes, spelled the same exact way. <laughs> wow, okay. So he told him that Donna had first met Bob in the late 60s. Bob liked the fact that Donna was into cars. She had a really nice Corvette. And the two of them got married in 1968. By late fall of 1975, the marriage was on the rocks. 
Donna had written a letter to her sister confessing that she wanted a divorce and that at times she was concerned for her safety. Okay. Donna's brother gave away more details. He said that Bob had told the police that when he returned from the YMCA, so that's the gym that he went to, he found Donna on the floor with a plastic dry cleaner's bag over her head, same as Lori, and a spark plug wire around her neck, and it had broken from the impact or force from her body hanging. And in total, Bob received $17,386 from an insurance policy. And on top of that, he put in to get paid from the Ohio's Victim of Crimes Compensation Fund. And he got approved because it seemed as if his wife died by suicide. And that's where he got the $50,000 from. On top of this. Correct. And he also applied for this with Lori. How could this? But he was denied. Okay, but how can this guy not be guilty? guilty? Like, I mean, come on. I mean, I understand that they need to connect, you know, they need to have, um, you know, evidence and there needs to be some sort of connection. But how can you sit there and say there's no way that this guy did it? I mean, literally, he has used the same methodology for both murders. I know. In every aspect. But he's got a great alibi. And yeah, but we there's all know, no connection. I know, but we all know that people have had alibis before too, to you know that way it kind of shakes people off of uh, off of his trail. But we know that that doesn't it doesn't mean anything. But a jury's not going to convict with no evidence. No DA would ever take that to trial. They need to figure out if anyone had any involvement or took any sort of pay money, drugs, whatever to carry something out. Okay, they have to. Unless he has a twin out there somewhere and is... There's no Bob Hanslin. <laughs> okay. No. Well, then I don't know. <laughs> so again, Stephen's life was very much affected by this news and by his sister's murder. He felt in a way like it was his fault because he was Bob Hans' alibi. He had problems with drinking because of just how angry he was. And it took a lot for him to get control of that. But eventually he was able to. The years pass by and the case goes unsolved. Lori's murder becomes a cold case, much like the questionable suicide of Donna Hand. In the 90s, when DNA became something that the public was familiar with, the Willis family reached out for the glove to be tested. But like I revealed earlier, the only DNA profile on the glove was that of Lori's herself. Okay, so it was her blood it was, on the glove? Yeah, it was only Lori's blood on the glove. Okay. But the lab did know, and this is to no fault of law enforcement, because obviously it was bagged in 1979 and the protocols were different, but um, they said that it was bagged in a way that some evidence might have been lost over time. But, I mean, that's, I'm sure, very common with cases from so long ago. Most likely if the glove had been found at that time in the in the late 90s a dna profile could have been lifted from the sweat of the glove incredible by the way yes so in 1998 Lori's father passed away never knowing who was responsible for his daughter's death well rather never seeing the person that he felt was responsible for his daughter's death be punished yeah so now let's flash forward to 2002 okay 
Stephen Willis, the brother of Lori, is driving his car, you know, listening to the radio. And over the radio, he hears a story of a hero, a hero that chased an intruder down and shot him in his neighbor's driveway. Guess who that man was? Bob Hand. It was Bob Hand. No way. Not only did he chase an intruder down and shoot him, he did so because that intruder killed his wife. His old wife? His new wife. His third wife. Well, technically his fourth. Are you telling me that this guy got another wife? That was murdered. Wait, wait. Oh, so that other wife got murdered too and then he killed the intruder? Yes. (sighs) This is crazy. Wait, so he has had four wives. Well, yes, because I'll get to it. And they're all? Three of them. Three of them have been murdered. See, I told you there's going to be a good. lot of hands. Get <laughs> I it? I like that. Yeah. But please continue. This okay. is good. Oh, okay. my God. So, while the Willis family struggled to move on after the death of Lori, Bob Hand did not struggle so much. Soon after Lori's death, he met a woman named Glenna Castle. They married but were divorced by 1989. Soon after that divorce, Bob met another woman, Jill Randolph, at a dance. Jill was a widow. Her husband had recently died of cancer. And she had actually just moved to Ohio from West Virginia. And she was a little bit lonely. Bob seemed like a dream. He courted her with lavish gifts, and soon they began dating. And in 1992... They were married. Bob moved into Jill's house on Walnut Ave in Galena, Ohio. Jill's friends did think that she was moving a bit fast after the death of her first husband. But Jill, like Lori before her, was adamant that Bob loved her unconditionally. And Jill thought things were going to be great between her and Bob. He had a new radiator shop. And she had her job at the Bureau of Motor Vehicles, and she was financially secure. To her, she felt like she was going to live out the rest of her life with Bob, and that she was having a second chance after her husband passed away. But by 2000, things were not as good as Jill thought they were going to be. So eight years in, Bob's radiator shop had failed, and he was deeply in debt. Over time, Jill learned that not only was his business in the hole, but Bob had charged a lot of debt to Hans Hilltop Radiator Shop. Um, He was committing credit card fraud. And he owed himself $218,000 in credit cards. I mean, that's pretty steep. That's steep. And in addition to that, she learned that he opened credit cards in her name Are you serious? And had a debt that amounted to $24,000. See, guys, take this as a lesson. Even when they give you lavish gifts and shit, just know that there's a possibility that you'll be murdered for life insurance money. Oh, wow. Jeez. Yeah. It's an escalation. (laughs) Yeah. And the guy could be, uh, you know, committing credit credit card fraud. He could be a Bob Hand. Yes. So after she finds all of this out, Jill tells her daughter, 
who is named Lori, by the way, I know weird, um, tells her that she was going to make a payment plan with Bob for him to pay off his debt and pay her back. Like she was trying to make this work. That's very nice of her. I'm sure most women or people in general would just not agree to that. Yeah. So because of this, Bob had to sell the property of his business and the adjoining buildings that he owned. Because he was out of work, he started working as a security guard. And those on the outskirts of their marriage knew that things weren't good, but hoped that for their sake that they could get better off financially so they could eventually retire because they were getting older. But that wasn't going to be possible. Because around 7.15 p.m. on January 15, 2002, a call came in to 911 by a man who identified himself as Bob Hand. He said that he had arrived home from work at 6.45, and after he got home, he had dinner with his wife and went to the bathroom. As he was leaving the bathroom, he heard Jill yell his name, and then he heard two gunshots. He saw a man in a red and black flannel shirt with a mask on, like with only two eye holes at the end of his hallway. He said he retrieved two 38 caliber revolvers from the master bedroom and chased after the man, firing both guns at once. He would later say that the guns were misfiring and missing every other round. He chased the man out of the house and fired at him as he ran away. Finally, he fell in the neighbor's driveway. The intruder and murderer was dead too. So the 911 call featured an out-of-breath and exasperated Bob, saying that someone had shot his wife and that he shot him. It was covered all by the news outlets that Bob had chased down a man who'd killed his wife. He got revenge. He was the hero. At around 8 p.m. that night, a detective interviewed Bob at the hospital. He told the story and said that he recognized the car that the man was running to, but he couldn't really recognize him because he had a mask on and he was crazed with adrenaline. So, who do you think the man in the mask is? This case is awesome. <laughs> I don't know. It was Lonnie. Really? Yep. It was Walter Welch. Lonnie. The longtime friend and former army buddy of Bob Hand. But that was not the way that Bob explained it to detectives. Instead, he said he really didn't know Lonnie too well. He said he did odd jobs around the shop, but he knew him to be a thief and a cocaine addict. And he said he never really talked to him too much. What? That's, he, is, he is literally going backwards on what he originally said. Well, this is different detectives. Oh, wow. This is like wow. over 20 years later. I guess you're right. Upon investigation, the detectives found no sign of forced entry. Blood spatter was found inside the front door stoop. The glass front door had been shattered, and glass pieces were found on top of the blood spatter, indicating that the door had possibly been shot at, maybe by Bob Hand while he was shooting wildly at his wife's killer. A thirty-two caliber revolver was found next to the man in the neighbor's driveway and was later determined to be the weapon that was used to shoot and kill Jill Hand. This is when Stephen Willis, having just heard about these crimes, 
asked for a visit with detectives working the Jill Hand case. He said he had some information. I am so glad. He was he has been waiting his whole life, his whole adult life to to give any piece of information that he can. Well, imagine just hearing that on a drive. You'd probably crash your car. I mean, that is insane. I mean, it's he knows these people involved in this. So Stephen showed the detectives a box full of evidence he had collected on Bob Hand that would point to him being guilty of the murders of Donna and Lori. And the story was shocking. What is the coincidence that three of Bob Hand's wives would be murdered? Zero. But what detectives were most interested in was a picture in the box. It was a picture of Lori and Bob on their wedding day. And standing next to Bob, smiling ear to ear, was Lonnie Welch, the man Bob had shot and apparently didn't know. Yeah, you know, just some random dude at my wedding. Well, the detectives <laughs> asked Stephen about this and he said, oh, that's Lonnie. That was his best friend. That was his best man at the wedding. Yeah. So they're like, oh, this guy is lying to us. So the detectives were floored. They needed to talk to Bob Hand about this. But they didn't want to let him know that they knew. So they decided to let him talk. During the second interview, Bob changed his story. He admitted that he did know Lonnie more than he let on before. He had been his employee for over 20 years and they'd served together in Vietnam. They also wanted to ask him about the weapon. In the first interview, he stated that his weapon misfired. But according to ballistics, the gun had not misfired. The, gu- the other gun, like Lonnie's gun, had misfired. So Bob wasn't telling the truth here. And this was a lot for the detectives to take in. Bob knew the man that shot his wife for over 30 years and lied about it. Why would he do that? Well, upon further investigation of Bob's house, the police found documentation regarding the debt that Bob Hand was in. And the life insurance policy that he took out on his wife. Typical MO. For $1 million. Oh, now he's getting a little crazy now. (laughs) Yes, he is. He's like, hey, listen, I could uh, have my wife killed here. And uh, I don't know, I'll just get out of all the debt that I'm in and just start again. But the nail that sealed Bob Hand's coffin was the confession of Lonnie's cousin, who stated that he had been paid to kill all three of Bob Hand's wives. But he specifically talked about the murder of Jill Hand because it had happened so recently. And this, ladies and gentlemen, is why Bob had been helping Lonnie for all of these years and giving him money because he had a secret. And because of that, Bob had to feed his addiction. That is so interesting. Now, let me ask you this, though. This is actually really awesome. Do you think, though, that him killing him was just a way of, like, tying up loose ends because he knows everything? Oh, I'll get there. Okay. There's a reason why he killed Lonnie. Okay. Because of a 20-year statute of limitations for felonies in Ohio, meaning, like, it would be a felony that he had tried to commit, like, solicitation of a murder, that he couldn't be charged with that. Because they they weren't charging him. 
this is confusing. The DA felt like he didn't have enough evidence to actually charge him with aggravated murder for Donna and Jill Hand. There was not enough physical evidence, not even to connect Lonnie to them, let alone Bob. So what they wanted to do was get a home run and prosecute him for the situation with Jill. Okay. So Gerald, Bob, Hand, faced aggravated murder charges for the, aggra- for the murder of Jill Hand. And Walter Lonnie Welch faced the same aggravated murder. But obviously, he's dead. So it's all on Bob. But Bob would not quietly sit by while he awaited trial. There were a few incidents while he was in prison of him being involved in these strange escape plans. One of the inmates in his cell block was able to have books sent to him. And within the binding of the books, they had blades. Blades? Like hacksaw blades. Okay, so he thinks he's getting out with that. Yeah, well, the plan was between Bob and two other guys. And honestly, they almost kind of did it. They sawed through one lock. And this was on the back prison door. And they were able to get through the entire lock. So now the next part of their plan was to be able to get out of their cells somehow and then push that back door open. Okay. Okay. Would it have been hard for them to get over a 10 foot fence in old age and with barbed wire and poor health? Yeah, I would say probably, but they would have gotten out the door, which is pretty impressive. It's insane that the attempt was somewhat successful yeah. like, like they I got out of there a little I bit i wouldn't call it the shawshank redemption but i mean like they tried it's no uh, escape from alcatraz but... no it is not well luckily one of the corrections officers well not luckily but it was a part of their rotation their protocol i guess to do perimeter checks so he walked every time you walk by doors you kind of like pull them to check the lock so he went to go check the integrity of the lock and it, the door opened. And he was like, oh, these bastards. I guarantee you, though, when they, he pulled that door and it was lo- it came open or it was loose, I'm sure he, uh, he was, was like, thank God I did my job. Extremely scared, though. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because like, now you have inmates like on the loose a little bit. That is really scary. Like, it could be anywhere. Well, no, like the lock was still intact. But like if someone were to just pass by, they would have thought the lock was intact okay but you just yank it and it falls gotcha okay so um while he was waiting for that trial for aggravated murder bob was also charged with uh, attempted escape from prison good so just add another charge there bob it's okay bob keep going and this is when bob is placed in the delaware county prison after this incident and it's here that we get some answers Because as I was going through this, I was shocked, truly, that Bob killed Lonnie. It was risky for him, right? Because now it puts him at the scene when one of his wives gets murdered. It is a lot of risk that I didn't think that he would take. Right. But while he's in prison, Bob Hand has many conversations with his cellmate, who later comes forward to law enforcement. Now, this cellmate got nothing from coming forward to law enforcement. 
he was in jail for not paying child support. So he didn't have a lot of time that he was facing. So he got no benefit from sharing this information and he has no motivation to lie, which I think makes him a little bit more reliable. He also knew details at about the case that he wouldn't have known because he was from South Carolina. Okay. Well, Bob basically told him that when he approached Lonnie about killing Jill, at first Lonnie didn't want to do it, but eventually agreed. But this time Lonnie wanted to be paid double because the life insurance policy was a million dollars. And, you know, inflation. Yeah, I mean... It's not 1979 anymore. True. So Bob was inwardly furious about this, right? Because, again, Bob is also an irrational maniac. And he was thinking, how could Lonnie not just do it for the same price? Like, are you serious, buddy? (laughs) I think he's so concerned about how much he has to pay, but he doesn't realize what he's... Like, I mean, dude, you're literally setting up your wife's murder uh, for the third time, by the way. Yeah. That's crazy. Callous. So callous. Yeah. Now, we know, based on witness testimony later, that Lonnie must have been paid good money for the murders of Donna and later Lori Hand because witnesses saw him buy cars, get a mink coat for his girlfriend, buy a lot of new clothes. So he was not shy about spending that money. So it seemed like he wanted more here because not only did Bob stand to inherit a million dollars, but he's killing a third person for him. I can't, I can't, uh, even I, I, I can't that. either. I, I really can't either. It's nuts. So Bob explained to his cellmate that this made him upset. He thought it was selfish of Lonnie. So he decided that when Lonnie came to the house to kill Jill, he would kill Lonnie and blame him for the murder of Jill and potentially if he played his cards right he could blame Lonnie for the death of all of his wives freeing him from suspicion saying oh look he killed this wife he probably killed my other wives for money or because he was jealous I think whether he asked for double or not, I think he would have done this. I have to be honest with you. Like, you think he would just say, like, I don't trust you anymore? It's not even, I don't trust you anymore. It's, if I'm going to continue to keep doing this, I have to somewhat get rid of these loose ends. Mm -hmm. I have a guy out there that's requesting more money that I don't want to give, and he's just out there with all my secrets. It's crazy. So I think I think no matter what, that was going to be the case. Right. Last murder, and then I'll just take him out, and then that's it. And then it. I have nothing to worry about. And this is the most money that he's ever had in life insurance. So I think this must must have been like his way of saying, maybe this will be it for me. Oh, this is my last yeah. big one. Like the oh, big hurrah. God. What yeah. a creep. Mm-hmm. So that leads me to Bob's third wife, Glenna Castle. Remember the one who left him in 1989? Yeah. All she would say of her time with Bob was that she was able to escape her marriage with her life because she had left that home in the middle of the night with only the clothes she was wearing on her back. And she went into hiding because she feared for her life. Wow. And And when Bob met Jill, he was in a bad financial spot. He was giving her gifts based on his credit card, but that's why he had to move into her house with her. 
because he was going to kill Glenna Castle. Right, and he would have been able to have money going into this next marriage. Wow. Terrifying. So, let's get to some good news here. Okay. Well, I mean, I don't want to offend anyone because I know how some people feel about this. But, eventually, Bob Hand was convicted of both charges, meaning the aggravated murder and trying to escape prison. And he was sentenced to death. The only thing that makes me, well, a lot of things make me sad about this case, but I wish that justice on paper could have been brought to Donna and Lori because technically their cases still remain unsolved to today. Yeah, I I don't like that either because I would like to just be able to say, no, this is, you know, he is responsible for all of them. But I think it does still give those families closure. Yeah. Because I think that they always knew and this was just confirmation. And it's good 100% that... 100% confirmation. Bob can't hurt anyone else. Yep. And he's going to be put away for the rest of his life, whether he dies of natural causes or he's put to death by the state. And I understand, you know, that, that that's... Uh, some people don't like that. I'm not going to get into that. But I will say that not only did he do that to those victims that trusted him, you know, you know, those were his wives... You're supposed to be there for your partner, you know, and he, here he is planning all their deaths. But it's also the families that you're going to affect here. Look what you did. You had that one family. You you were someone's idol that they looked up to. You have, were you were so entrenched in the family, and and this is what you're planning the entire time. Right, you ruined these lives. It's so and that's, sad. And that, and that kid, Steven, you could tell, you know, once he knew that fact that other you know another woman another wife had passed away there i mean he was on a mission it changed the trajectory of his yep. life mm-hmm. he was on a mission i agree Whew. that was a that was a wild ride i'm I, babe that was that was good that was good nice. job okay all right before we go what we want to do is we want to say thank you Times a million to all of the new listeners that we have on Patreon. We hope you're enjoying those two bonus episodes or one, depending on what level you're donating at. But we want to just say thank you so much. So thank you to Ashley Kerr and her daughter Presley, to Shauna and Stefan, Bree, Sarah, Macers Racers, Lily Cash Bushel. Lars Dumb, Lindsay Can, Kim, Hope Rose, Annie Garcia, Grace Dennison, J.H., Aubrey Ortega, Joss McCourt, Julia Heinbaugh, Helen Foster, Sarah Williams, Lisa, Susie Cuskella, Kathy Gearhard, Nikki Bouquet, Sophia Tahirakani, Cynthia Gonzalez, Becky Pendry, Molly, Carrie Potts, Nicole Schmidt, Ashling McAuliffe, Christy Rago, Emily, Kimberly Quantero Lopez, Michelle Boss, Brock, Jennifer Montalvo, Caleb Amundsen, Brandy Shade, Sabrina Leister, and Lisa. Thank you so much. Again, we hope you guys are enjoying Patreon. And if you need or want anything, you please just let us know. 
as now I'm losing my voice because I gave lectures all day at school and now this. It's okay. We've made it through. So <laughs> we did it. And once again, guys, you would not want me telling the story. I can tell you that right now. Oh, no. John would be like, <laughs> oh, my God, I can't imagine you reading through. You know, like, to be honest, we'd be here for like and three and a half then hours. the third wife died. Okay. I wouldn't be that bad. <laughs> but you're close. But you're close. Okay. Uh, we cannot wait to give, bring you another episode. The next one we have is um, another very intense episode. And we are – this is our last episode of September. It is. It's our favorite month next month. It is. It's October. Can't wait. All right. Until next time, guys, don't park next to vans. Bye, guys. Bye. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.